The Old Testament reading for this, the third Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the book of Genesis, the third chapter. Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the word of the Lord. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. On your wondrous works I will meditate. The epistle reading comes from Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, the fourth and fifth chapters. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is the word of the Lord. And the Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. Mark, the third chapter. Then Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him, and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. <laughs> 
Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, He has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever heard of bear mace? Well, bear mace is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It's a can of powerful mace that you use to spray in the eyes of an attacking bear with the intention of stunning and blinding it while you run away screaming. Now, I've never tried it, And I really hope I never have to. But it's a really big seller, especially out in, like, Yellowstone National Park. Now, if I were a gambling man, I would wager that most of you are not carrying bear mace today. Do you know why that is? Because when you left the house this morning, the thought of encountering a bear in church never even crossed your mind. So, why be prepared? Why bother being ready for an attack that you're positive isn't ever going to happen? Which means that, should a bear happen to wander in here and decide to attack, yes, we're in trouble. Now, I am not about to release a wild bear among the pews to prove my point, and I'm certain that we're like 98% safe from a random bear attack. But the point is this. If you're not expecting danger... You're not about to prepare for that danger. This is something that the devil knows, and he exploits time and time again. Did Jesus actually cast out demons? I mean, the Bible certainly records plenty instances of it, but our world doesn't take God at his word anymore. So many, many, many people doubt that Jesus ever had any kind of encounter with demons. I've had several discussions with people who said that those uninformed, knuckle-dragging ancients, oh, they thought it was demon possession, but we ever so smart people now, we recognize that it was just mental illness, that Jesus didn't drive out a demon, but maybe just healed someone or gave them some effective psychotherapy so they could work through their issues. Because demons, possession, the devil, that stuff's all just a bunch of old wives' tales that people use to scare their children into obedience, people say. We have science. We know better. We're smart enough to see the real truth through the silly dressing that the Bible had to use for those slack-jawed mouth-breathers of yesterdecade. We're super smart, and we know there's no such things as demons, says the world. There's a movie from the 90s 
that amid all the vulgar language and violence sets out this wonderfully accurate theological statement. A character says the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. If you're sure there are no wild bears in church, you don't need to bring along your bear mace. And if you think there's no threat of the devil or his demons, you're pretty sure you don't need protection from them either. Which is precisely why the hordes of hell are ecstatic when the world claims that they don't actually exist. So many people deny that truth. So many people say that demons, angels, even God, they don't exist. That's imaginary stuff. That's stuff that we can't see. Science has proven that those things aren't real. Just like science has proven a lot of things like phlogiston and the brontosaurus. They say, well, those are just stories for unintelligent people who can't understand the real reason behind these events. The world is what we can see and hear and touch and quantify and nothing more. Because we are the pinnacle of truth. We today in our vaunted age of wisdom and Google, we know everything. And if we can't understand it, if we don't think it's real, then obviously it can't be because we're the best. But that's not true, is it? There's a lot of things that we can't figure out. Scientists today still aren't entirely sure why we yawn. There's a lot of speculation, but if we can't figure that much out, who are we to say that demons are not real? The fact is, they are. And we know that for a fact because God himself has told us. The spiritual battle that goes on around us, even though we can't see it, even though we are blissfully unaware of it, it is real, it is intense, and it is constant. As Paul writes in our epistle reading today, what we can see is transient. It's not going to be there forever. But what we we cannot see, that's eternal. That's the stuff that matters. We put so much stock in what our senses can perceive when actually that's the stuff that isn't going to be here for all that long. And we ignore and reject what we can't see. But that's actually what matters. The devil and his evil demons, they seek to destroy us. And they seek to do it constantly. They want to pull us away from God. They want to do everything they can to make sure that we do not reach God's paradise of heaven. Sometimes they do it with outright attacks, as tragedy blindsides us, as we are just stricken down with temptation that we are just overcome by. Sometimes they do it with subterfuge, like the devil did at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. He didn't come to Adam and Eve in a red jumpsuit and a pitchfork and say, deny God and worship me. He asked the insidious question, did God really say? Is that really what God meant? Don't you think that you know better than God? But the devil comes at us, always. 
and always with the temptation to sin, to turn away from God, to come up with our own way, to say that we can do something better and that God's word is silly and useless and isn't doing us any actual good. The devil is out there. He is on the prowl like a roaring lion and he seeks your destruction. And that might terrify us. That's a horrible thought, to think that there is an enemy out there who is powerful beyond belief, who wants to destroy you, and who you can't even see as he comes at you. And if we are trying to fight the devil on our own, that should be a terrifying thought, because we will lose that battle. Look how that ended for Adam and Eve. They went to the devil, and rather than turning back to God's word, when the devil said, did God really say, saying, why don't we check with him, because he's right here. Instead, they looked to themselves, their own wisdom, their own mortality. They thought their wisdom was good enough. Their strength was good enough. And how did that end? Naked, defeated, afraid, and ashamed. The devil and his demons, they are powerful beyond our understanding. They are eternal beings. They have power that we can't even comprehend. Our strength is insufficient. Our knowledge and intellect, they can do nothing to thwart them. There is no technology, no shield, no proton pack that we can build that would make us able to stand against them. And that's a terrifying thought, isn't it? But God, God is with us. And God is far more powerful than even the devil and the demons. They have power beyond us, that's for certain. But God has power far beyond them. And God himself has won the victory for us. God himself has come and destroyed the devil's power and given us the victory. So that we don't need to stand in fear and terror constantly that the devil's going to snatch us and win because he can't. God has won the victory. Not with fancy swordplay. Not with developing some super secret demon buster gun with a special crystal in it. No. He won the victory through sacrificial love for his fallen, broken, rebellious creation. You know, it's very interesting when you look at that reading from the Garden of Eden. There when he comes to Adam and Eve who have sinned, who have disregarded the one single rule that he gave them, he comes and speaks to them in questions. He questions Adam and Eve, offering them only the opportunity to repent and to be reconciled. He does not come and say, you disobeyed me, now you die like we deserved. But he calls out to Adam and Eve. He says, what have you done? He gives them opportunity to repent and to come to him again in faith. But for Satan, there are no questions. There are only proclamations. There is no chance, no hope. Only the proclamation of complete and utter destruction and shame. He says to the serpent, 
Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is not, as our world tries to cleverly explain, God explaining why snakes have no legs. This is God proclaiming to the devil that he is finished, that he is defeated, that he has no hope whatsoever of getting what he wants. God is not content to sit back and let the devil take his prized possession, humanity, away from him. Even though humankind sinned, even though we deserve to be cast into the fires of hell along with the devil and his rebellious angels, God comes and says, I will not allow that. I will destroy you utterly, Satan. Your victory is nothing and you are done. In no uncertain terms, God proclaims to the devil, you will die and you will burn for eternity in the fires of hell. For you, there is no hope whatsoever. That's what we too deserved for following in Satan's rebellion, for listening to his question and saying, you're right, I think God is wrong in this one. But instead, we're given the Messiah, a Savior, One who will come and take our place and crush the serpent's head for us. And in turn, rather than the death that we deserve for all eternity, we are given eternal life in heaven. Jesus came in the flesh, just as was promised. And he bound the strong man with his superior strength. And he plundered Satan's house, taking us back and making us sinners his own. And again, he did it not with some kind of an earthly battle strategy or some gambit that just happened to work out. He did it at the cross. And at the cross, just as promised, the devil certainly did bruise the heel of God. The pain of crucifixion, it was excruciating. It is one of the most torturous deaths known to man. But more than just the physical pain, the spiritual pain, of bearing the sin of the entire world, of having God the Father turn his back on his own Son because he had become the embodiment of sin, that was beyond any pain that we could imagine. That's the pain that the Messiah had to suffer to spare you from the fires of hell, to bring you back into his kingdom, to redeem you and make you his beloved child once again. And he did it willingly. He offered up his heel, his very life, to death itself. An excruciating, humiliating death on the cross for you. But while Jesus' heel was bruised in agonizing pain, God crushed the devil's head in utter defeat. Satan thought he had won. He had killed the promised Messiah. He had killed the Son of God. He had killed the one who was going to come and defeat him. But in doing so, he sealed his own doom. And now the devil goes about on his belly, 
groveling, nothing at all before God, reduced to this pathetic creature instead of the powerful, glorious angel that he once was. He eats dust all the days of his life, laid low, never to rise again. And when Jesus Christ comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead, Satan and all his demons, and all those who bought into the devil's lies and sided with him, they will be bound and cast into the fires of hell for all eternity, no longer allowed to tempt or torment God's people. People ask the question then, if God has won, why does the devil still have such power in our lives? If the serpent's head has been crushed, why are we still tempted? Why are we still tormented and in so much pain? Why are we still under constant spiritual attack? Well, as a great pastor friend of mine once used to say, the devil is a corpse that doesn't have the good graces to lie down. As his head is crushed, he thrashes and wails and does everything that he can do in his death throes to try to do as much damage as possible with what little time he has. He seeks to terrify you, to bring you down to hell with him because he knows his days are over and he simply wants to bring as much chaos and pain and suffering into God's world as he can. And yet, his time is done. He is defeated. It's not going to come down to some great epic battle at the end. The battle is over. Jesus Christ is risen from the grave and the serpent's head is crushed. We have been given the victory, the eternal victory, by the cross of Jesus Christ. And while we will still be afflicted by the battle, while the devil will still thrash and do as much damage as he can in our lives, If we cling to God, we know that that victory is ours. Pain and suffering, trial and temptation, demonic assault and darkness, all these will constantly be part of our lives as long as we are this side of heaven. But through it all, God stands as an unmovable fortress for us. His angels fight for us and protect us. His word is with us always, building us up, showing us what is truly true. His mercy forgives us when we do fall into the devil's snares of sin. His grace comforts us that while the fight might be brutal and it might feel like it will never come to an end, it will not last forever. And we will know his perfect eternal rest. The very might of God assures us that victory is his. And by the grace of God, victory is ours as well. Jesus has bound the strong man, the devil. Jesus has plundered his hellish house, stealing us away from the fires of hell that we deserve, graciously winning us back to his eternal paradise of heaven. Just because you can't see it, just because the world doesn't believe it, Don't think for one second that the devil and his demonic hordes are not real, are not constantly striving and scheming to do you harm. The fight is real, and it is painful, but it is won. The devil would like nothing more than for you to think that he doesn't exist, because if you follow that lie, you will not be prepared for his vicious assaults when they come. 
And as sinners living in this broken and fallen world, the devil's assaults come constantly. As he and his wicked minions seek to tear us away from God, try to convince us that they're the real victors, try to drag us down to hell with them. But by God's grace, we need not fear even the hordes of hell themselves. We ourselves, we could not stand against them. We deserved to burn with them. But God, in his mercy, has won the fight for us. He has bound Satan. He has crushed his head. He has broken his wicked power over us. We will still struggle. We will still get hurt and deeply by demonic assaults. But in God, we have an impenetrable, eternal defense that the devil can never break through. When we trust in God's word instead of our own, when we live by God's ways instead of our own, when we believe in God's promises instead of our own, victory is ours. Maybe not earthly victory, certainly not earthly paradise. By the power of Jesus Christ, eternal life in heaven is ours. Despite what the world might claim, the spiritual battle between God and Satan is very, very real. And it is very, very dangerous. But despite what we sinners deserve, the battle is won, and we are victorious. Not by our might or our cunning inventions, but by the sacrificial love that God has shown for us when he himself took on our flesh to take away the guilt of our sins. While we walk this earth, we will suffer, especially when we turn away from the Holy Word of God. Because of the love and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, all who look to him in faith will emerge from this spiritual war as victors, passing from death into his eternal paradise of heaven. Not by our strength, but by what God himself has done for you. For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins. Eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.